Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. All right, so uh, today's episode's a bit of a grab bag from our listeners. We're going to explore leadership styles, uh, personal professional boundaries, and a few other things. But um, yeah, let's do some housekeeping, Ben. Okay, so some housekeeping. Uh, so a couple things. We are, first of all, we're recording this here in February, mid-February, and uh, we are getting really stoked for the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology annual conference coming up here in April in Austin. It's going to be an awesome time. Uh, if you happen to be of the uh, industrial and organizational psychology ilk, or if you are <laughs> <laughs> someone, who, if you are, then you probably already know about the conference. But if you happen to be in Austin and you just want to like say hi to us or whatever, uh, reach out. And uh, it's going to be really great because we're doing a whole bunch of really cool things. Um, on Wednesday of and this, so this is, uh, in April, as I mentioned, uh, Wednesday, April 22nd, I'm doing a, a big project and, uh, event called accelerating performance in a turbulent world, uh, and evening of dialogue about leadership and culture, where we're going to have some awesome guests. We're going to have Alexis Fink from, uh, Facebook talking about people analytics and strategy, uh, Angela Jeffrey from, she's the head of global talent at JLL, um, Patrick Hyland, who's the Director of Research and Development at Mercer, and Allison Earing, she's the founder and CEO of Organization Solutions. We're going to have this awesome panel talking about leadership and culture. Uh, let me know if you want more information about that. Um, as always, you can contact us, indigotogether.com slash contact, indigotogether.com slash contact. That's on April 22nd in Austin, Texas. Uh, then the rest of that week, we're going to be there for the conference. Uh, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be Chris's first time at this conference. Yeah, I'd, I'm looking forward to it. One of the cool things about these kind of national conferences is just the amount of thinkers that are all in one one group. You know, yeah. these aren't, you know, this is an amateur hour as far as research and participation in the field. And so I'm really looking forward to um, those kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, you know, four or 5,000 people really nerding out on the human <laughs> side of the workplace. It's just, it, and you, it's so awesome. So, you know, we're going to be talking, uh, I have a presentation on that Thursday talking about qualitative research and how to use that to drive organizational change. Um, you and I are both going to be on a panel doing a cool thing on agility in the new world of work, uh, with implications for talent and leadership, uh, management, uh, that's going to be on, on the Friday, April 24th. And then the last day, we're going to do some cool stuff about veterans in the workplace. So it's going to be a really fantastic time. Right. And in that note, so if you are going to this conference, do ping us uh, through the website. We'd love yep. to meet up um, some of our listeners. And the main way that we grow, since we're not sponsored or you know doing any of these things, is if you find value in what you um, here on this podcast, please, you know, what do they say? Like, share, subscribe. That's right. Yes. Those are, <laughs> those are three great things to do. You can, uh, like us on, uh, on Facebook. You can, uh, share our stuff on social media, whatever type of social media you, you want. Um, and, uh, certainly subscribe to the podcast if you are, 
uh, not if you haven't already done that. And tell your friends about it, right? We um, also just love hearing from people. We love hearing from our listeners. Again, you can just contact us very easily, indigotogether.com slash contact, and let us know what you're thinking about. Let us know your feedback. Let us know your questions. Um, as you already know, if you're a regular listener, we, we sometimes devote entire podcast episodes to one person's uh, question or idea. And so this is like, you know, your opportunity to, to maybe hear us weigh in on something. And we're going to do actually a little bit of that here today. Yeah, and LinkedIn's another good source. You know, I get hit up a lot on LinkedIn, yeah. so it's really good. Um, also, one of the things that we're working on details is for some live web events, and um, you know, maybe that's going to be YouTube Live or something like that. Um, but as we go forward in that space, if you've got some input, we want it. Reach out, and um, if if you're already doing this, and your blood might be able to help others, we'd love to get some of those lessons learned and, and just kind of some of the formats by which you guys like to receive that kind of live content. Excellent. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to a lot of that stuff that we're going to end up doing here in the, the near future. Another thing we're going to do in the near future is we're going to start having more guests. So we've had one guest so far, uh, our good friend, Joe Allen, but we're also going to um, look at a whole slew of people um, who we're going to start to have on and we were, we've just wanted to get this podcast up and rolling uh, before we kind of venture into that space. And I think we're at a space where we can start doing that um, very shortly, uh, as well as just kind of work out the technical details. But we're going to start having some great guests on here and really start to bring you the content that uh, we think can be very helpful for you and interesting and uh, all you know within this big umbrella theme of uh, what it takes to flourish at work and beyond. Yeah, so we've got some pretty cool gear, you know, mics that we can mail out to our guests. And I just want to thank uh, the listeners who have already made some really clutch introductions to some people that we would yeah. love to have on our podcast. So if you have somebody you think should be on here, we'd love to hear who that is and get that introduction if we don't already know them. And um, and thank you for those that have already teed that up for us already. So I don't know, Ben, shall we get get to this stuff now? Let's get down to it. All right. So like I said, we're going to do a grab bag, which is a little different for us. We're going to go through some of the wonderful um, uh, letters or emails that have been sent in to us and respond to some of the great questions that they threw at us. So first one comes from Paul from Wisconsin, and it's about leadership styles and corresponding work environments. Um Ben, you want to maybe read the email? Sure. It's short. Yeah. So yeah. So you said, uh, "What's on your mind?" Hi, guy. Hi, guys. Big fan of your podcast. Uh, something that I have learned and like to keep learning about is leadership styles slash types and the best type of work environment or culture that is conducive to those types. Maybe worth a podcast? Question mark. Thanks, yeah, we, yeah. We think so. Yeah. Totally <laughs> worth a podcast. We have deemed it worthy. All right. So let let's get into this. So oh, leadership styles. This is yes. kind of a kind of a like a loose hand grenade out there in the world <laughs> of work. Um, I guess I always start to think about, you know, there's kind of two, two food groups within this, at least the way I think about it. Now, there's a lot of literature on this. There's hasn't been like combined to just some unifying theory of the universe, you know, so we got to kind of piece together something practically. So I think of like two things, like who that leader is, that can be kind of their personality, their mores, their integrity, you know, um, just, you know, are they gregarious? Are they more stern? 
you know, that's kind of like who that person is as a person. And then there's those kind of leadership behaviors. Um, yeah. So it's like if, if somebody, sometimes people, and I see this a lot, you know, we were asked to, um, you know, look at a company and they felt that the leader wasn't charismatic enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, sometimes people have this idea, it comes out of the great man or great woman theory of leadership that you, you just find this great person and somehow one, two, three magic, they've got profit now. Right. And it, what does the literature say about that, Ben? So the leadership literature uh, suggests that, you know, people are successful um, or are most successful, leaders are most successful when they are a good fit between kind of their approach and the environment. Uh, and, you know, so in some cases, um, some of these great people, these great men and great women, uh, historical figures, leaders of companies and so forth, uh, many of them were in the right place at the right time. They were well suited for that environment. Uh, others accidentally successful. Oh uh, yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> some, maybe to some degree, or they were chosen specifically for that. If we want to be more, uh, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt that they were chosen for that because that they were a good fit. But yeah, it could have been a little bit of accident. Um, you know, but what, if there's anything that we know about leadership, it's that well, you know, being adaptable is really important. Uh, we don't oftentimes get to choose the environments in which we find ourselves, you know, even if we do, um, you know, if we very carefully choose the organization within which we work, uh, we will find ourselves as leaders, uh, you know, facing many different types of situations. And because of that, we have to be able to adapt to that situation. You know, if you just approach everything as the authoritative, decisive uh, person who knows things, right, that is kind of a style of leadership, um, that's going to work in some circumstances, but it's going to not work in a lot of others. So the best success is found in being adaptable, having multiple modalities, so to speak, in which you can behave as a leader. Uh, and, you know, if you really only have one style or you can't adapt, um, then, yeah, then, then the environment is even more important because you don't want to, you're going to be unsuccessful in those environments that aren't a good fit. Yeah, let me let me throw something in here. So people say we need a leader, we need a strategic leader, a visionary leader. I immediately see them during the hiring recruitment, you know, that kind of process begin to look for personality types. And that can be okay. You know, if you probably don't want to get like some like backroom bean counter to come lead your visionary marketing platform as a service in Silicon Valley. You get what I'm saying. So there's certain personality fits might not do well. Um, or, but that's not, that's wouldn't be where I'd go first to looking at what you're hiring. So to your point, Ben, you know, and I forget where this was, most people kind of have one leadership style, right? And that'll be some mix between their own personality and who they are as a person, at least anecdotally, what I've observed across bunches of companies, as that's a mix of kind of their personality, their experience of how they grew up, and maybe one or two key mentors that they may have had during their life. Or the maybe they didn't have a mentor, but they served under a certain type of manager. I see this in the military all the time. It's like, 
a, a captain will, you know, his lieutenants that he churns out are kind of the same. Um, and so they just have that one, one personality, that one leadership style. But what happens is, is that they go crack, go into other situations and then all of a sudden they're not successful. Um, and I use this Venn diagram. So one of the circles has a leader, the other has followers, and the other has situation. Um, and I forget who did that model. I, I didn't come. People come up with models just to have ways to talk about these things. So you'll see that people that can adapt can thrive in more situations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. Yeah, well, and that, that's because they are able to read the situation and then change their behavior, right? So, um, you know, just to kind of put our arms around some of these different kind of some more, I guess, some of the bigger buckets of leadership styles that there are, um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess if, if you had to boil down all leadership behavior, um, kind of the most classic way of thinking about this from organizational psychology is that there are two huge buckets of behavior, one is what we call initiating structure, all right? So all those things around organizing, uh, you know, harnessing people to a, some sort of mission or trying to coalesce a group in that way. And then there's establishing roles and responsibilities, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's what we call consideration. And consideration is about having individualized, uh, you know, relationships and support networks that you build with the people uh, whom you're trying to lead. So you can also think of these as kind of task-related behaviors versus people-related behaviors. And in some situations, you may need to have more or less of one of those. Um, You also, for example, maybe you're going through, so those are kind of two different styles that you may have. Um, Of course, you're going to want to have a mix in most situations. Uh, Other situations may require more of what we call a transformational style. And this is about guiding a team or an organization through a time of change or transformation. Um, In other situations, you may even have more of a transactional style where it's kind of a, you know, uh, an exchange of this for that type of thing. I do this for the group. They do this for me. Uh, and, or even I'll talk to management so you don't have to, <laughs> you guys make me look good. Right. Deal? Right. Deal. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe that'd be appropriate in some situations. And then there's even kind of a passive or avoidant leadership style. And, um, you know, I, and, and usually that's not a, a great idea. Um, but you, but here's the key. It's really about thinking about that situation. So let's use the example of, you know, um, let's say you are in charge of a bunch of medical doctors, right? You probably, and, and they, even if you are a doctor yourself, you probably don't need to be telling these people what to do specifically on a day-to-day basis. Um, that's part of their profession. That's part of what they do. That's part of what they know. And therefore, in your, your job in that situation is probably to, you know, help remove some obstacles to, um, you know, create some structures for them to, you know, make their lives easier and get out of the way. You don't have to be nearly as directive in those types of situations, uh, assuming that people are doing generally what they're supposed to do, right? Um, Because they are experts and they are doing a task that they are very well trained to do. Um, Take that. Right, and that's why they organize those kind of experts. They're generally a professional or right. organization. There's very clear roles and responsibilities so that those kind of subject matter experts can just thrive organically somewhat. Right, right. right. But you contrast that with a bunch of people who, 
you know, uh, uh, like, you know, think of, uh, you know, you being in the, in the Army National Guard, right? A bunch of really junior level folks who maybe just came from boot camp, like you're going to need to give them some direction, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wish they would listen to the direction. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, it's, it's exactly right. And that, you know, that's kind of brings us to the whole idea of, okay, well, leadership style and then situation. So if you're a growth minded person, and that's like one of those things, you know, there's always this idea around emotional intelligence, Mm. right? And we kind of yeah. don't like that word. <laughs> yeah, I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. Uh, oh, gross. <laughs> Are we going to edit that? I don't know. Maybe we'll keep it in. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. The, uh, but wait, we don't like that word because of the term intelligence. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's just my, uh, my own bias as an industrial and organizational psychologist. I have a very specific idea of what intelligence means and it, it, it doesn't have to do a whole lot with them with emotions it also has to do with something that is relatively difficult for anyone to change instead the way that i like to think about what a lot of people call emotional intelligence is social skill uh the ability or the um you know the set of tools that someone has to be able to recognize other people's emotions and respond appropriately, as well as recognizing their own emotions and responding appropriately. Uh, so you know that is a skill you can learn through practice, learn through being more aware of other people and of yourself, um, versus something you have or don't have. So I like to think of it as social skill. Yeah, and I like to think about as somebody who's minted a gobs of leaders. You know. Right. And like hordes of leaders, <laughs> my motley <laughs> horde. Right. Um, but, you know, I could put on a lot of these guys and because I have a specific way in which I teach leadership and these kinds of skills and a very like distinct pedagogy and system. Um, a lot of people don't know that I actually was a professional guitarist for a bunch of years in Nashville. Um, I ski a lot. Uh, I've been through a lot of educational systems. Um, And one of the things in a pedagogy is, you know, we all know a bunch of people that took a foreign language for six years and can't speak anything, right? Or, oh, yeah, I took 13 years of piano. Oh, well, well, play me something. And and they stink, right? You know, And, um, and it's not always because they didn't practice, because a lot of people that put themselves out there say that they have a pedagogy or methodology. And then I say, well, great, you know, show me, show me your, uh, your players, right? Like if you're an excellent piano teacher, let's see, you should have literally gobs of excellent piano students, right? And so it's the same thing with the leadership stuff. And, and so like one of the things, if, if you don't have a growth mindset, if you believe things are fixed, you need to be super careful about where you land, Right. And sometimes, you know, you're two years from retirement and you're like, dude, I'm just too old for this. Right. There's no way I'm going to work there. It doesn't fit how I want to roll at the age of 70. Right. Totally fine. So that could be choice. I'm going to choose that spot. But let's say we're in a down business cycle. Right. And you just got out with your MBA and 100 grand worth of debt. Well, you know, you probably want to put that growth mindset on. And say, I need to learn how to thrive and adapt. And so Ben and I are both strong believers. Um, well, I'm confident, Ben, I haven't asked you this specific, that people can grow and change, right? And so these skills around uh, leadership 
you know, and you, people can call them styles. I like to think about it's so we were talking about the two pieces, right? Your person and who you are. If you're a very quiet person, um, trying to be, you know, if you view stuff as it's a internal personality trait, leadership, which I reject that view, um, you might try to be super gregarious and that's not going to come off very authentically. Yeah. Right. Or even if, if you, what, yeah. Or even if you are very skilled at acting in that way, it's going to be exhausting over time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, and then what did they publish all these books, the Bill Gates books, the Warren Buffett book and, and, you know, leadership lessons learned from Jack Welch. And when I look at all these books, like it's a great case study in what that person did Mm-hmm. But there's not a whole lot of commonality between these guys, right? I mean, generally, they have some pretty good business acumen. They'll have some hard business skills that we already know how to teach within the typical academic environment if the students are paying attention, right? Right. But, but and I've seen it in the military. Somebody that's so quiet, meek, and mild, you think, surely this guy can't lead an infantry platoon into combat. And they're amazing, mm-hmm. right? So... My coaching advice to listeners and individuals that I coach individually is, hey, listen, be true to your person. You know, we did a whole episode on like kind of moral compass type issues. Develop your integrity and your moral compass. That's how you're going to set sail. That being said, um, we have all these ingredients that come out of awesome peer-reviewed leadership research and all of that stuff in industrial organizational psychology that can give you the tools. Um, and, you know, one, one way to think about this is a chef that cooks a meal. Like, hey, do you bite into that chicken and be like, mm, I can tell that, that, that chef really has a gregarious personality. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I can tell if a chicken had a gregarious personality, but not, not the chef. <laughs> so, so, but, so then why, why do we do that? So organizations out there, you know, normally we do these podcasts. We're like, what's this mean for organization, a manager, or an individual? But mm. for organizations out there, be careful with the personality stuff. You know, handle that with care. You're playing with a little bit of fire with some of those assessments. There's some good stuff out there. Just handle that with care. Yeah. But... You need chefs that can cook up awesome teams throughout your organization, which means you got to have some kind of learning and development around these skills. So yeah. it's like, okay, we got a, a bag of people, different personalities, different backgrounds. In the military, we don't even get to choose what that bag looks like. Right. You know, right. hey, hey, Ben, your mission is to go take that hill. Here's your 40 guys. And you're like, hey, that's a great mission and everything. But have you seen the numbskulls you hired me? You know, <laughs> look at their disc assessments. Oh, I don't have, you know, or, or right. you, you don't get to do that. So it's no. like, okay, well, I got who I got. I'm going to start development. And that's, that's where, like, we have a specific pedagogy and how we teach these leadership skills, both around psychosocial, team, and all those kinds of things. Don't, don't worry about your personality. Right, All right. kinds can be successful. Worry about getting the ingredients, the recipes, the skills for how to adjust your approach that it's appropriate to the situation and to be able to drive results with a myriad of people. Yep. And I think one way that the best organizations do this is that, you know, they'll identify maybe what some of the competencies are that they want to de- see in their leaders and so forth um, from a development standpoint. But then they also construct and deliberately expose people to different situations and help them learn from them. 
Um, you know, if we know anything about uh, other things that we kind of know this to be true, right, about leadership, is you know, that um, to the extent that leaders are are made, they are made through experience, and our experiences teach us things. Um, so, and different types of experiences teach us different things. Uh, so, you know, that's why some of the best organizations will deliberately take their high potential leaders and uh, ensure that they have these kind of stretch experiences in maybe different parts of the business, maybe doing some challenging assignments, maybe overseas and so forth, uh, maybe working on some high visibility projects, and also building into those types of assignments a systematic way in which they can reflect upon that experience and what they've learned. That way they're getting, you know, this broad array of um, situations that they have to deal with, getting some coaching along the way, helping them to learn from it, and all of those different um, pieces of skill and knowledge then kind of come into play that way. If you're an individual thinking, well, how do I really kind of develop my leadership uh, toolkit? One way is through education and training and reading a lot about this kind of stuff and um, seeking expertise and so forth. That's great. Another one, and I think this goes hand in hand with that, is through exposing yourself to various new experiences. You know, get out there. And if you're not getting it in your current professional environment, go out there and volunteer and do something. Um, you know, there are oftentimes just amazing opportunities for improving organizations through volunteer experiences on, on uh, boards of directors for nonprofits, on just helping other people, right? There are all kinds of ways in which you can practice leadership skills uh, for free. Yeah, like go join a community choir or maybe, a, you know, theater organization. Sure. It's, it's out there. You got you to gotta practice. And organizations... If- don't do the throw the spaghetti against the wall approach. You know, you, <laughs> you complain. I hear this. Oh, we just don't have enough. Well, then if it was really a problem, you'd probably start brewing your own. Right? right. And if you brew your own, that means putting them in those situations and have some kind of coaching and education and refinement situation. Leadership training shouldn't just be for leaders, in my view. It could be for everybody. So right. if there is a leader that has maybe a key um, sec- section of expertise, such as like contract law or something, you know, well, this person's going to lead a bunch of lawyers and well, they've just been a lawyer this whole time, you know, some coaching and feedback and allowing them to grow. But also when their subordinates understand these things, they can kind of manage and coach up and help that person be successful. Sure, sure. Sure. So, yeah, I think we've talked, uh, we've had some, uh, it's a great conversation, I think, around, uh, you know, leadership um, development and so forth. And, you know, just to bring it back to the, uh, to Paul's question about these leadership styles, you know, I I think people who are successful as leaders are good at adapting. They recognize whether, you know, and they adapt to two things. They adapt to what the situation involves from a people standpoint. Like, are I working with a bunch of novices or experts here, Right. Because your approach should differ. Experts need less direction. They need uh, maybe some um, support and encouragement, and uh, they need obstacles removed. Uh, novices, they need more directive types of behaviors from you as the leader. Um, and, and then the other function is what types of tasks are involved. Um, are, are these people doing things that are routine, or are they doing something that is non-routine, something that is very ambiguous? Because even if you have that group of experts, if they're doing something they've never done before, uh, then you probably do need to be more 
participative um, or even directive in that situation if you have some knowledge that they don't about how they can succeed. So, you know, adapting to the situation, absolutely critical uh, and is probably one of the strongest things that we know about leadership if you want to continue to be successful in different circumstances. Right. And adapting doesn't mean being a chameleon. Nope. Yeah. The, and and we'll get this question a lot from executives. Well, doesn't that just mean I'm just like, well, what noodle? You know, I just, yeah. I'm going to be, I'll make so much money because I'm so adaptive and I can do all this stuff. But in the end, I didn't lead anything, right? Mm. Um, that's where your moral compass and these items come into play where you can start pointing the direction. Like, yes, we could do that, but that's unethical and will damage our brand as well. Right. Right. And, and so it's not that you're, you're milky toast, but you've got a whole pile of people you got to take somewhere and they all have different backgrounds and stuff. And that's one of the easiest ways that you can, you know, set your sail to get the team from point A to point to, to be discovered. Right. Yes. Great. Awesome. So I think we covered the leadership styles. Uh, yeah. Point. Thanks. Great question, Paul. Um, awesome. The next question is uh, from Angela in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, ben, why don't you read the uh, email? Yeah, so I'm going to read this because it's so nuanced and I think thoughtful. Uh, and you know, sh she writes, um, hi, I've been listening to your podcast, which I really like. I am a people manager, and the topics are definitely relatable. A topic on my mind lately has to do with work workplace boundaries. I do think this is a complex topic and not one size fits all. I am observing what I believe is a growing casualness in the modern workplace with a finer and finer line between what info is shared in the workplace and what is kept private. This transpires in the way people communicate, what they communicate, and when they communicate. For example, I hear more and more employees sharing details about their health, etc., openly with colleagues, uh, or employees openly divulging issues going on in their personal lives that have nothing to do with business. Technology certainly has an important role here, too, because we're always on. Coworkers connecting on Facebook and sharing private details of their lives. Or communicating via text, phone calls, emails after work hours from co coworkers about work-related and non-work-related stuff. In an age when companies are trying to promote more bonding to influence a positive culture, I think... So I sometimes think a consequence of that is an erosion of boundaries and even a lack of professionalism in some cases. On the one hand, it is nice that employees employees are friendly with each other, but on the other, shouldn't some things just be private? I would be curious to hear the Indigo team's take on this topic. Wow, a lot going on there. I think it's just really well thought out. Yeah, loaded. This is like, should somebody know if you're more of a boxers or briefs type person that's sitting in the cubicle next to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, but I, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily um, something that everyone needs to know, right? But uh, this is, I mean, so much going on, I think, that uh, in, this, in this question um, that we can start to unpack, unpack a little bit. And I think the first thing, uh, when we talk about personal and professional boundaries at work, like what, what is appropriate to talk about, what isn't, and so forth, is I think we got to recognize in today's day and age, and taking into account what Angela mentioned in her email about, uh, you know, technology and so forth, is that, you know, there is kind of this game that's being played here, this unspoken game between employers and employees about, you know, keeping these things separate, but kind of seeming not to and saying, okay, well, you know, it's great that we have you on the hook now 24-7 with your 
uh, email and, and other devices and so forth. Um, at the same time, we, you know, I don't want any bleed over in the workplace of your personal life, right? It's just, it's a very interesting dynamic that I think has evolved over the last um, 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And I always say there's a game that's being played here. Yeah. It's a, it's a social game, right? Um, and, you know, just like dating, you, you don't go to somebody at, at the pub that you think's attractive and just be like, let me give you my resume in 30 seconds or less. And, blah, 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 and let me tell you my social interests. Blah, blah, blah. Quiet walks on the beach. Do you want to go out tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, that's just not how you present yourself. Now, you may cover all those topics, right? But, you know, you you just conduct yourself socially in a way that's maybe a little bit appealing, right? So this game involves keeping these things separate, but seeming like you're not. So when people mm. interact with somebody, they don't want to interact with somebody that seems super, super guarded because it can be hard to build trust in that team environment. Like right. is this person just like politically going to stab me in the back, those kinds of things. That being said, playing that game of keeping things separate, you can still be super open, right? Mm -hmm. And so with executives, one of the things that I see this getting derailed is Maybe they've moved to a new town and they got no friends, you know, yeah. they're just, they're just freaking lonely. Mm -hmm. And so they might at lunch or stuff because they just have, we all have those social needs. So the first thing I encourage people to do is have a dynamic friends and family support group outside of the office in right. as much as possible, get your emotional needs met from that group so that when you're coming to the office, you can build, it's not, you know, I have some really close friends that I've met that were coworkers that developed into very personal friends outside the office. But I was able to come to those relationships from a place of strength rather than a place of neediness because I had developed that outside. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And, you know, I think it's also just important to realize that um, you know, when someone at work is maybe to your, in your perception, like oversharing, I think it's important to think about, well, first of all, like who defines what oversharing is? <laughs> That's the first question. Right. And, you know, why do you consider to be oversharing? Sometimes what some people consider to be oversharing, other people obviously don't. Um, and then it's, I think even more importantly is what are the motivations that that, that person has? Why are they sharing those feelings and so forth? Uh, and you know, sometimes it is just that that person doesn't have perhaps a whole lot of other people to talk to about things. Um, and maybe you work in a place that is so demanding that guess what? Like they don't even have time to, to build those relationships, even if they wanted to outside of work. Right. And I, and I just be kind to each other. Right. Mm -hmm. So what, one of the things is we talk about creating culture, one of the ways in which people want to build culture is like, oh, we have a good culture if everyone feels close to each other. And there's been some decent research around like church growth and some of those items. It talks about like those interpersonal, decently close bonds break, at, break down around like, what is it, like 250, 300 people, right? And so it'd be hard for you to build an enterprise level organization, 20,000 people or whatever, with everyone having that kind of culture. And then also it prevents you from having a type of diversity that you might want to have. So I've seen this in places where um, the accounting person was really awesome and totally turned around a marketing ad agency kind of place. They did videos and stuff. Um, 
turn them around and get them to where the bills were mailed out on time, payroll went out on time. Totally awesome. Was that person like the creatives that worked there? No. And like, that was one of the things in talking with the organization is like, well, I, ju I just don't feel close to so-and-so in accounting. But that's that's okay. So if you're relying on personal bonding, you know, trust falls and a bunch of those kinds of shenanigans to create culture, those things can be awesome. Do a high ropes course, team building. Those things are wonderful, but that shouldn't be what you rely on. That wouldn't be the best approach for how to create and culture because it excludes some of those people that just have different personalities, but offer key skill sets and perspectives to your organization. Right, right. So, you know, go back to, going back to this idea of professionalism, I think it, um, you know, is really up to the organization to think about, first of all, like, what, what are we trying to do as an organization? What is our mission? Uh, what is our brand as an organization? And, you know, in tandem with those things, thinking about what our values are, right? Because that's the key part of culture. Um, and then, you know, from that, you can use that to define, well, what does professional behavior look like? Uh, you know, in in some circumstances, you know, maybe it means um, this is how we interact with each other. This is how we interact with with clients and so forth. Um, but, you know, if it's something that's if it has nothing to do with, you know, your ability as an organization to to execute your strategy, to help everyone feel included, um, you know, then then really does it need to be something you're worrying about? Right. Yeah. You know, you know, and. People use their feelings to assess these things, mm. but they have such limited scope. So um, if you want to look at those like kind of personal professional boundaries and how they fit into larger cultures, like getting with somebody that can help you do a professional assessment with that, I, I just strongly, strongly recommend. Um, another idea is this idea that we use all the time of like a collaborative alliance. You know, so we talk about personal professional boundaries. Most people that I observe kind of come in and they're, and they're building relationships in a similar way to which they build their friendships and stuff at university or, you know, high school at their, you know, chess club or wh whatever that they're in. And because that's kind of their only modality of thinking about relationships. But one of the things I like to, about the term collaborative alliance is, you know, we have a goal in mind. And let's collaborate together to do it. You know, um, I get fulfillment in doing good work and being excellent. Um, you get fulfillment in doing good work and excellence. And we may not have that emotional heart to heart connection, but like the U.S. and England um, allying against the Nazis, why well, we didn't see the eye to eye on a whole host of things, but kicking some Nazi rear end, we, we were <laughs> down for that, you know? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, introducing even that term collaborative alliance into your organization can be helpful in housing teams of individuals to rethink about how they engage with each other. Mm -hmm. So, so their litmus test for is everything going great? Not one of, I feel intimately close to all of my colleagues and we're all best friends, which can click off and, and exclude people. It's, I feel totally satisfied with our collaborative alliance. Our organization has clear values, strategies, and goals. We can align ourselves behind those and have an alliance to getting what the broader organization needs and getting what we need, which may be, you know, a paycheck, um, training for the role I really want, or, you know, those kinds of things. Right. 
So I think if we, you know, we come back to part of Angela's question about, you know, professionalism versus kind of casual relationships and so forth at work. Um, you know, I think it's interesting to kind of like put yourself in this situation. Let's imagine that you are uh, the CEO of a company and, you know, this is starting to bother you, that you feel like people are not being professional, that people are being overly, uh, you know, personal with each other and so forth. Uh, you know, there are a couple of different things that you might consider doing, right? Just kind of the full range of, of your options. You know, one thing that may pop into your mind is, well, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to start, I'm going to say, this is what professionalism, I'm going to put, I'm going to cut this off, right? With, uh, you know, some, some clarity. And I'm going to say, we do not talk about our, you know, our health problems at work. We do not um, share these types of things with each other. This is work. Work is work, right? That could be one approach. Might there be any downsides to coming down hard on it like that? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, command and control, I mean, should only happen in certain, you know, if you're the only one that knows how to get out of a burning building, by God, take command of that situation. Walk, don't run that way, right? Um, but yeah, that it, you can't dictate those cultural elements because, you know, the social deviants will just organize around them, right? Yeah, they will organize around them. And you may just, uh, you know, it may go the other way and just turn into a really cold and unfriendly and kind of uh, robotic type of environment that, that is actually very counterproductive to actually sharing information and getting work done. Um, you know, a, another approach would just be to completely ignore it. Um, now, if you are, ha which, which may be fine. Uh, Dial think, into some of that passive, yeah, passive, passive avoiding behaviors. <laughs> right. And, and that, and, you know, and that might be, that might be appropriate, actually, if, if it's not actually causing a big problem. I think what you'd want to assess here as a leader, um, a manager really at any level in, in an organization like that, is you'd want to say, is this actually affecting work? Is this affecting how, you know, our, our productivity? Is it affecting um, our, our interactions with customers? Is it our affecting our ability to drive projects to, to completion? And if the answer to those is no, then it probably isn't a problem that you need to worry about too much. If the answer is yes, then I think you can approach it from a communication standpoint in terms of, you know, the outcomes that you want to see, you know, and say, look, I've noticed that we, uh, you know, this is, this is the outcome that we want in terms of maybe how we're executing on a, a project or something. And here's what we're currently doing. How can we do this better team? Right. How come, what, what would it take for us to get this done in two weeks? Um, and, you know, start organizing yourself that way instead of um, kind of getting down into the nitty gritty weeds of what everyone is talking about. Because I think it, it, that then it's like, hey, let's let's get people, um, you know, maybe redirected and refocused uh, in terms of what's uh, what's important here. Right. And professional organizations and professional groups like CPAs, right, they have a code of conduct. Sure. And. You can have these kind of values and supporting behaviors that align with those values listed, trained throughout your organization. And then when you onboard new people, you're able to bring them, you know, up to pace on what that is. And one of those definitions is that you need is like, what is professionalism? What does, pro if professional conduct is important to you, you got to define not only what it is, but what that looks like behaviorally. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, we don't talk about our underpants uh, with our colleagues or, <laughs> you know, any of those kinds of things. So, you know, some organizations are okay with more of that bring um, your whole self to work um, perspective. Yeah. Others, it's it's more reserved, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And I think when it comes to some of these issues of professionalism and um, casualness, so to speak, at work, uh, you know, one thing that you can do is helping people to have the communication skills to be able to, um, you know, work out those problems themselves if they have them, right? So if you are in a situation where you're just tired of hearing about maybe someone's personal details all day long, uh, finding good ways to talk about that with them, right? And, and maybe going back to some of the stuff we talked about in our difficult conversations episode and having that conversation with somebody saying, look, I, I really care about you and I, I want to have a good relationship. At the same time, I want to get things done. And I want to, you know, maintain a boundary of sorts between um, work and non-work. Um, can we work together to make that happen? You know, that's going to be a, a tough conversation, but um, equipping people to have that on kind of an individual basis, I think could be import- important because, you know, what one person thinks is oversharing, another person does not. Uh, and the key is that you want everyone at work to feel like they can um, truly be productive, that they can focus on what needs to get done, uh, that they can have a decent time while doing it, and that they can truly flourish in their role. Right. Another thing um, that I think we could bring up here on professionalism is this idea of having your own social media strategy. Right. Um, uh, I met this guy. I interviewed him for a project I was doing. He was like, I don't know brand evangelist or one of those type titles for the CAO cigar company, which was based before they got bought by that Swedish match. I, I can't remember. Anyway, this was a homebrewed cigar company out of Nashville, Tennessee, really creative media and everything. Dude's got a sleeve of tats. He looks cool as all get out, right? I mean, he just looks and he was the, like the brand ambassador or something like for that. And so his thing is, Whenever he's out in public, he's always smoking a cigar. He always looked cool. His social media, Twitter, Facebook, all that, et cetera, completely aligned seamlessly with the brand and websites and all that stuff of the organization. And that was holistic. Um, That's fine. I know some people that have this idea of, you know, somebody's like, yeah, so where are you on Facebook? I'll add you. Hey, no offense. I just, I keep my Facebook stuff separate from people I work with. You know, that could be a good strategy um, for you there. That being said, if you're stepping up, and I've seen some people that were like, killed the interview, were awesome in a super, super culturally reserved company. And then they just go, well, let's go look at his Facebook or her Facebook. And it is like, man, is there a night that they're not on some scantily clad bender at the bars? You know, is that, you know, because especially as you start to move up the ladder and actually I think this should be everything who you are in person should be consistent across the board. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you might want to ask, you know, is the way I'm conducting myself. Is this a good representation? We're talking about that personal professional boundary line is the way I behave, build trust and an employer and in others that I'm good to go to deliver. Now, I, you know, I think there's some cultural impediments that we fail, you know, like somebody may have, um, I know for a while there was certain um, ethnic garbs that people would wear that HR people struggled with, you know, if um, in the military, you know, we have some people that wear turbans, right? And that's a different, you know, type of headgear, you know, so you can have all of these kinds of things, but as an individual level, you need to say, well, what what course am I trying to chart? And do I want to die on that hill of, listen, freedom, what I do in my free times, my my own, 
So if I want to have an adult website for my weekend gig and work at a Catholic charity, they should let, you know, that's, let's be practical here. That stuff's not going to work. Right. Yeah. So I think uh, the social media piece of this is important, you know, especially because it's, it's, it interacts with how we, we share our lives and uh, it can be certainly a way in which, um, you know, people are kind of perpetuating that relationship outside of work uh, that they normally have inside of work. And I think that, that you know, to some degree, it, again, this, this stuff can be okay. And it comes back to, is this affecting something that matters at work? Um, or is it just something that, that, I, that I feel like is, you know, a little different from how I might uh, approach the workplace? Right. And put your thinking cap on. You know, if you were your own friend, which you should be a friend to yourself, right? <laughs> how, how would you advise you conduct yourself personally and professionally? Should there be a big delta between those two? Yeah. Um, probably not. Right. Right. Cool. So right. what we talked about today um, is leadership styles. And then that was from Paul in Wisconsin. And then we talked about disentangling personal professional boundaries in the workplace. Angela from Kentucky. So thank you, Angela. Thoughtful, thoughtful questions. Um, thank you, listeners. Uh, do send us uh, comments, feedbacks, and all that kind of stuff. That's right. Thank you all so much. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.